Welcome back to Make Pods Great Again. Hope everybody's doing well. Nikki, how are you? Doing well, thanks. I'm very excited. Our podcast this week has a sponsor. And for those of you that know me, that know I hate mobility, that makes this even more exciting. We have Mobility Movement as a new show sponsor. What do you think about that? They probably just saw too many of your posts complaining about your lack of ankle mobility and flexibility. And they were like, we got to help. We got to help this gentleman here. Very, very likely. Have you tried the app yet? I have. And I actually have been really, really liking it, Um, especially because my body body makes me feel old and broken these days since I've been like working from home uh, at a desk that's not really a desk. It's just like my bar height kitchen table and my back is all jacked up. So um, I've been trying to use the app more often than not, but sometimes I still like find myself wanting to skip mobility or don't have a ton of time. So one of the things that I really like is that they've got this whole section on the app that's just 10 minute movements. And so you can just pick one, you know, to target the area of your body that maybe is extra sore. You worked out in the gym and just dedicate 10 minutes to it. And they have longer ones too, which are really nice when you have time. Um, but the 10 minute ones have sort of been my jam this past week. Yeah. I've loved um, the fact that it really focuses on the central nervous system. Like for me, like I, I left my workout tonight and I was all shaky and that's what mm-hmm. really helps me. Like it really helps me calm down and it's just like, it's a real holistic approach. And I, I just, I really appreciate that about it. So. Yeah. Cause you forget, you forget that it's about like, yes, you need to stretch and you need to get like, you know, loose and limber, but like you also need to figure out your, your breathing and work on your mindfulness. And that's like, you know, practices like yoga are worked into, into their mobility. And I, I really appreciate that too. Well, I never thought I would say that I'm appreciating mobility, but I'm appreciating <laughs> this mobility. So you are. Here first. <laughs> yeah. So uh, big props to Mobility Movement and uh, even bigger props are given a discount to our listeners. So let me uh, give you guys this promo code. So if you use MPGA25, which stands for Make Pods Great Again, we're real clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get 25% discount on the first invoice for any other reoccurring membership. So a monthly membership with discount is going to be $7.45 after the trial period. The six-month membership with discount is $42.74 after the trial period. And then obviously the six-month membership is a better deal. Sometimes people just, you know, they're not ready for that kind of a commitment. So you get some choices here. Again, you it first. Yeah, exactly. So go out, download Mobility Movement and uh, yeah, use promo code MPGA25. Get your 25% discount. So with that, on to the show. Welcome to Make Pods Great Again. I'm your host, John Woolley, content creator for the Instagram page, Make Wads Great Again. Welcome back, everyone. Nikki, how are you doing? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. How about you? I'm uh, truthfully a little exhausted. I'm two days back into Cliffside, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident the twins tried to kill me today. I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm surprised. 90 toes to bar and 300 double unders and just a whole bunch of foolishness that someone at my age should not be doing, but... <laughs> Proud of you. It's all good. I survived. But tonight we have Easy Muhammad with us. How you doing, Elijah? Yeah. Doing, doing well, man. I'm doing doing good uh, due to the circumstances. You know, yeah. um, I keep my head above water and stay positive in in a tough situation. But other than that, it's doing good, man. You know, it it, it is kind of a uh, it's been an odd moment for me all day today you know, under the circumstances in which we have you on the podcast, because I've been such a fan for so long. Like I've got this excitement to have you on to talk to you about all the amazing CrossFit things you've done. And then, you know, the circumstances we're under are, are just so tragic and terrible. It's just been kind of a weird moment. Uh, I'm sure listeners will understand that. Uh, so if I fangirl a little from time to time, everyone's going to have to forgive me. But um, 
I did want to, I do want to start by, you know, talking about how we connected and how we got you on the podcast. Um, you know, I was reading, I obviously follow you on Instagram and for the record, Elijah thinks I'm hysterical. He follows me too. And, uh, and it, you had a post the other day that really resonated with me where you were talking about what if it were me and, you know, what if you get pulled over by the cops and, and, you know, you'd have to ask your wife to record it and what would you tell your kids? And it was really the part where you're talking about, you know, worrying about your children that resonated with me because I have kids and I had a, a moment in my life a few years ago, the girls and I um, were big uh, amusement park fans. Like we love, you know, Disney and all of that. And, and we were out in PA and we went to uh, Hershey park. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a fun park. And we'd been there all day long and we were exhausted. And then we were driving back to the hotel and I was speeding and I swerved across two lanes to hit the exit like I normally do. And uh, I saw the lights come on behind me. Right. So I pull immediately, I pull immediately over and I rolled down all four windows. My girls are in the back seat, and I always do that. Just it's dark. And like, I want the cop to be able to see in my car, see who I am. Right. And there's a lot of traffic. I don't want the guy to worry. And so the guy walks over to my window and he asked my driver's license. I hand it to him. He's like, where are you going, Mr. Woolley? And like, you know, going to the hotel. We've been at the music park all day. And he's like, do you know why I pulled you over? And I'm like, yeah, I was speedy. <laughs> and I changed two lanes really fast. And he's like, well, we've got a, we've got a drunk in this area we're looking for. Have a good night. And then he winked at me, handed me my license and sent me on my way. And my girls in the backseat who were really young, but have always been, you know, really smart. One of them goes, what just happened? And my older daughter goes, white privilege. That quick, you know, and, and at the time, it didn't, it, we've always kind of joked about that. Like it's been like kind of this family joke that every time I get pulled over, I get let off and, and I've never been outraged until I read your story hmm. because I started thinking, you know, I've never had to tell my daughters to worry about the cops or to keep your hands on the dash or, or something bad could happen because in the back of my mind, I've always known nothing bad's going to happen to me, you know? And, and, so, you know, I read, anyway, my point is, you know, I, I read your post and it just, it really resonated with me because I've kind of lived that way my whole life and I haven't been outraged and now I am mostly at myself, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, but I, I mostly wanted to start just by asking you, you know, to, to tell your story a little bit, where that came from, you know, just kind of your feelings in the moment. So just to be upfront, I've never had a, a crazy encounter with police, you know, like a and the most that ever happened to me is I've been slammed on a police car and um, I've been arrested twice. Um, petty, silly stuff that I shouldn't have been doing anyway. Uh, in, in all rights, I should have got arrested, right? I, sh I should have been crafted. Um, I was young and I was doing things that I shouldn't have been. I've never been in an aggressive, hostile situation throughout my life. Fear comes from the media. The fear comes from the environment that I was in growing up. Um, but in this situation, it was just kind of like it's me in those situations. It's like, I wasn't thinking my mom might lose her son. I was just thinking like, oh shit, like it's just me. Like I don't have anything to worry about. But now you flash forward, you know, 15 years later and I have four kids and it's not about me anymore. And, you know, it's about putting them in the best position they can be in and raising them to be you know, any citizens and making sure they understand to love compassionately. So um, through everything that's been happening, it's just been kind of like, you start to build this fear of like killing us, like they're shooting us. And so um, I made the post, first post I made 
was on Facebook. And the first post stated, basically, does your child have a black doll in the household? Does your child have an Asian doll in the household? The reason why I said black is because, of course, I'm black. That's to see where people are at, to see if you're leading your child down the right direction. And we don't understand this and we don't think about this, but having children makes me think so much about how the brain functions. What am I teaching my kids? What am I doing around them? What are they going to take in? The reason being is because we can be conditioned to act a certain way and do a certain thing that we never know we were conditioned to do. I.e., your child said white privilege. You've never probably told her, hey, we have white privilege and we're allowed to do things that black people can't do. But because she's been in situations, because maybe she didn't have enough black friends to see this or maybe she didn't. Everything was inside her bubble where it was like, oh, I turn on the TV, it's white TV show, white this. And then I go home to my family, it's white this. I go to church, it's white this. And maybe because she was in those situations that she realized like, oh, like, yeah, like I got it made. Like, um, but you never did that purposefully. You never did that purposefully to condition her a certain way. You don't know how our children are interpret it. It just sucks that I have to talk to my children about really, really tough touchy situations we don't know the outcome so i made the post basically i was trying to tie into the feelings of people that i know the only way you become compassionate about something is if you can feel what this person may be feeling or a situation that may cause you to feel a certain way so i couldn't say hey george floyd was killed the stand up for him because you don't know him so you can't tie yourself to him you your emotions are completely out of the situation. But once I say, hey, what if it was me? What if I went in that store and paid with a $20 bill, got some change from someone else that happened to be a counterfeit, which turned out not to be a counterfeit. Someone called the cops on me. I'm waiting around for the cops to come because I'm confident this money's not fake. And now I'm on the ground with a knee in my neck. And that will change the perspective of how you do something and it'll tie into your feelings so that you can act with compassion and understand. Getting, getting put over by the police is a really, really touchy situation. Once again, I said I've never been put over by the police. Uh, I've never not put over. I've never had a, a life-threatening account. But it was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't want to condition my children that these are bad. I don't want to condition my children that don't trust these people, right? Um, because there might be a time when you need them. Like, there might be an honest time where you need the police. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's very, very a touchy situation, but I now have to make sure you know the protocols that if that gets put over, this is what we need to do. This is what we have to do. This is where we stand. And all this week, it's just, and it, it happens all the time. It's just a, a lot more vivid this week. I'm driving back and forth to the gym or to get food or, and I'm just imagining like, Okay, if I get pulled over, is this the right move? Can they take this the wrong, wrong way? Or is this gesture right or wrong? Like, I've gotten to the point where on my dashboard, my wallet, my license, my registration, every single thing on my dashboard in like a, a little compartment where it's like, I don't have to reach for anything. Mm-hmm. When I get pulled over, the protocol is stop the car, take your keys out, put them on top of the vehicle, hang your hands out the window or keep them on the steering wheel. Tell my, my wife, just keep your phone in reach on record and make sure it's on live so that you don't have to worry about like enough storage on my phone or is my phone going to die? Like, or whatever, like get it on live so that it makes sure it records, make sure the storage is there for it to see everything that's going on. Tell the kids not to move. 
Nobody moves. Like you said, all windows get rolled down. Reason being, maybe for you, you wanted the police to see exactly that the car is empty or what's going on. For me, maybe get a little compassion from this man because my children are here. Almost like using my children as a shield to like, to make sure like, hey, like this kid's in the car, like whatever's about to happen, just think twice, maybe. It's just these protocols that just scare the shit out of you. Where it's like, I am, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm overthinking this. Maybe I'm working myself up, but it's like, happening so much it's like i don't know what else to think i don't know what else to do it's like i just gotta make sure that the the day we get pulled over and we all walk home all get home i made the post because it was just i'm going to share what's going on in the community it needs to come from someone that you know trust that you follow that you see regularly so you can tie your emotions and feeling into it and that may change the course for you to follow the path it's just a it's a a level of thinking and precaution that so many of us have never had to go through and you're absolutely right. Tying it to someone that you know, or that you follow or someone with a, a, you know, a presence on social media, like you have, it it puts it in a new perspective for some people to finally stop, finally stop and, and think what the hell is going on out here? Like how, how have we gotten here in 2020 and this is the kind of level of deep thinking that people have to do in order to survive. I don't think you're working yourself up or being overly cautious. I think you have a family and you're just trying to get to another day. It is the most like simple human (laughs) will to survive. And and this is what you have found that you have to, the precautions and levels of precaution you have to take to get there. I told my wife the other day, I had to pull over and call my wife. I was just like so emotional and so upset. And I was driving, I ran a red light. Mm-hmm. right through it because I was playing these scenarios in my head and I was so zoned in and so focused on like this is what we have to do and I ran through a red light immediately once I noticed that I got to the red light the first thing that happened was like people or like me daydreaming about a scenario almost got me pulled over I pulled over and I called my wife and I was like I just need someone to talk to Get my mind away from um, you know what I'm thinking and stuff like that and um as I was talking to her, I was like, hey, I'm cool now. I'm going to cut some music on. I'm home, like, I'm a block away. And uh, we, I usually take the back road to home. I had a date. Right as soon as I got off the phone with her, for some reason, I was speeding because I just wanted to get home. Mm. I just I wanted to get home as fast as possible. So I was like, I got to get home. And I got put over. Remember, this is all a date. This is just me just running through things in my head. And right. uh, I didn't pull over. It's just, just like, I'm on the back road. There's no one here to see me. There's no one here to film the situation or I don't know. Like I'm dead here. I'm not pulling over. And I called 911 and I told them there's a police officer behind me. Please I'll let him know to not get worked up. I'm just driving home. But I just do not feel comfortable pulling over on a back road alone by myself with the police officer. What's going on right now? You can stay on the phone with me. As soon as I get home, I will get out the vehicle. I would like Whatever precautions need to be taken, I will take them. But just understand where I'm coming from. And the lady stayed on the phone with me. I got home and then, and I was just sitting down thinking like, what has things come to when I have to, when I'm like playing all these different scenarios in my head just to get home. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, it was just heartbreaking me, man. Like I'm walking in the house and crying and I'm just like, let me stop crying for the kids come. Hey, what's wrong, dad? Or, oh, dad's crying. Mm-hmm. And, it's just, it's just tough. Um, so it's just been a really, really tough week, man, with all these thoughts running through my head, 
trying to figure out what's the the right way to go about it than just seeing social media. Like I've been so engulfed with social media uh, or tied up into social media right now because well, it's like heartbreaking, but it's you need to see it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, like you need to see it, and you need to stay the course and be reminded what's going on. So it's been a rough time. It's been a rough, rough week, man. Yeah, totally. And and I feel like made like more impactful and more emotional as well by all of the scenarios happening in all the cities all over the country right now, where you know people are sort of are are taking it to the street and in all sorts of levels of protest from peaceful to violent. I mean, that has to have a huge effect on, on how you feel in general as well, just given, you know, the fact that there's, there's people out there and we've got like curfews in cities and some, some super violent situations, some super peaceful situations that turn violent. I'm just like, I can't even keep up with all the craziness anymore. And I don't know what is even happening. Like how, how, how is all of this sort of affecting the way that you're positioning your thoughts and, and the levels of precaution you're taking? Um, it's rough. I was going to go protest. I talked to my wife and uh, she would not let me go down. I was, I was raised with this like zero tolerance of like, it comes from growing up where I grew up at. And it was like, disrespect someone, you're ready to get punched in the face. Mm. It's just like, if you are going to talk to someone or talk down someone, you should be prepared to fight. Mm. So it allowed me to catch on to it real quick and say, if I don't disrespect you, don't respect me, we have no problem. And so I had to always show the utmost respect for everyone because in my mind, it's like that person, if I disrespect them, they might try to hurt me. Like in my mind, it's just like that person is going to try to hurt me if I disrespect you. I'm not going to disrespect you. No kind of way. I'm not going to talk to you. Kind of way. I'm going to think first. I'm going to try to be logic. But then you go into a situation that is already hostile. Either someone disrespects you or kind of antagonize the situation because you're enraged. Mm. And so my wife's just kind of like, you don't need to be around that. And if you go around that, I kind of know what's going to happen with you because I know you're upset right now. And, you know, I don't, I don't want you down there. And so I stayed away from it um, because like the only thing I can think is, only thing I feel is like, man, I would love to do that to one of you, what you did to us. Mm. And then you sit down and you think, and you're like, that's not right. I shouldn't go that route. And so um, I have enough people around me to logically think. I have a reason to logically think. You know, I have children to logically think and watch my actions and do certain things. But even if I'm in a situation where I'm provoked, it's like, hey, like, I'm not wrong. You started this. Like the police brutality was there and you knew it. Whether it happened to you or not, you've seen it happen to friends. You've seen it happen to family. You've seen it happening happening so much to where you're just like, and when I get my chance, like I'm, you're just thinking with rage. There's no logic to anything you want to do or how you want to react. And it's to the point where you kind of block logic. You, like I, a lot of these people that are looting it, they're blocking logic thinking because they just want to act off their rage and emotions. Right. And rightfully so. Right. You know, like, like when people are like, stop the looting. It's like, I had said this once and I didn't post it on social media. I'm going to say it on here, but I said, we built this country once we can do it again. And I was speaking about black people. I was speaking for black people. If you want to loot and riot, no, I'm not with you hundred percent. I'm not, I'm not with it. 
but I do understand why you were doing it. Mm-hmm. I do understand the rage that you're feeling and that you're trying to let it out. And so if it comes down to it, it's like, we'll build it again. We'll build it the right way. We'll reconstruct it the right way. We'll set things up the right way so that there is equality. Mm-hmm. And I just, it just, it hurts and it sucks, but it just is what it is now. I'm honestly at a point where I wouldn't stop it. If I was down there, I wouldn't, I did, I did make a joke. I said, uh, my wife works for Lululemon and I was like, uh, if I went down there and they started trying to break in Lululemon, I would stop that. That's my wife's happy place. Like all I'm saying is if you loot Lululemon, I, w- I wear a large, if you can right. just pick, pick right. me up a couple of these I'm long sleeves. Thanks. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I was talking to my boss, I have this boss who's really conservative and he's also very religious. And we were at work to, together today and we were talking about this and, and we've had looting here in Cleveland. We're under curfew. One of our branches had all the windows smashed in over the weekend. Um, you know, I, I manage a whole group of branches and I've closed four or five of them today because of protests that were happening around the branches so I could get people home safe and, you know, on the off chance that something happened. And, and so he said to me, he's like, you know, it's just such an odd time. I just can't believe people are looting and rioting. And, and he said that to me because he's, he's never experienced that level of rage. And I said to him, I'm like, Parker, like we're in the burbs, man. Do you know how mean these women got when we closed Lululemon for the pandemic? Like, like seriously, like, and that was like, that's like the tiniest little thing ever. Imagine when you have people murdering you, like when you yeah. literally have people murdering you in the streets, the level of rage that comes from that. And, and when you have an entire system that's been designed to, to keep you from advancing, like it's, it's, it creates that. And so I, while I don't think anyone, whatever, you know, can justify smashing in windows and, and stealing or whatever. I think we should be able to understand it or at a minimum understand the feeling that, that causes normal sane people to do that. Right. Or I think at least like remembering that there's humans on the other side of this, right? Like, yes, it's hard to condone like small businesses being looted, whatever. And, and especially minority owned businesses. And I know that's a lot of the sort of counter argument here, but like remembering that there's humans on the other side of like these are people who are looting and, and trying to sort of stand for something and their rage is blinding them, but they are hu- They have a human reaction to everything yeah. that is happening to them. Like that is something that you cannot ignore, even in the face of maybe the facets of this that aren't right. hundred percent. And, uh, and that's where a lot of people are, are, are feeling like things are going wrong where it's like, Oh, they're looting and they're breaking stuff and they're burning stuff. And it's just like, don't forget what this country was, was built on. A post was made and it, it broke me down so much that I was like, holy crap. And it said, America should be happy that we just want justice instead of revenge. And I sat down and I thought about it. I was like, holy crap. Like, like we're just fighting for justice. We're not trying to kill right. the people that killed us. After all the... Cl- killing all the slain after all the slavery, all the beatings, all the, we're still not trying to kill you all. We're still not trying to hurt the people that oppressed us. We're just trying to fight for justice or them to pay the same price that we would pay if we did it. That's, that's to me, that's almost insane. Like it's wild when you think for? about it that way. Yeah. That's all you're fighting for. It's like the, the post when that post was made, I sat out and I was like, Holy crap. Like, just imagine if we said, you know what, we're going to start killing people. Any white person we see or any person that I feel like is a privilege to oppress me is dead. That's when things become drastically scary. 
Mm. Like even with everything that's happened to us, everything that's done, everything that we've been through, things that we're still going through, that not only my my mother went through, probably my nephew and my sons are going to have to see a little bit of. My mother went through it. Her mother went through it. Her mother went through it. And her father went through it. It's like all we're fighting for is for you to treat someone of white privilege in the same manner that you would treat a black person if we were in the same situation. Like, how is it 2020 and we're still even having to have this conversation? Look, I, I think people think the civil rights movement was 100 years ago. Like, I, you know, my <laughs> my dad's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks. And I, I'm sure you've seen me post about him before. He's a CrossFitter and whatever. Yeah. But he was an athlete in college. And he, to, he told me the story one time. I should have him tell this on the podcast because it's really interesting. He was a pitcher. And when he was young, high school, college, whatever, left, and he was left-handed. So it was kind of really good in the area. Now we grew up in rural Mississippi and he grew up in this little town called Ripley, which is like the size of a postage stamp. All right. It's a tiny little town. And they had um, African-American baseball leagues back then. And they were all African-American. Well, these grown men would come pick him up. He was 16, but a really good pitcher. They'd put him in the back seat, cover him in a blanket, take him to the game. What? They would, these grown, he's like, John, these are like 40 year old men. They would call him Mr. Roy, always called him Mr. Always. He'd pitch the game. They put him back in the car, cover him in the blanket and carry him back across the railroad tracks because if they were seen with a white kid in the car, they'd be lynched. Now this wasn't, this isn't 200 years ago. This isn't a hundred years ago. My dad's 75, right? So this is 60 years ago, 60 years ago. Like that's not, you know, think about that. It's in, and so you think like, you know, people think, oh, the civil rights movement was forever ago. It wasn't like no way. that generation is still alive. They're absolutely still yeah. alive. And and a lot of them, like my dad, have have come along and have reversed their feelings that they might have had back then. And but there are plenty. But that goes right back to what Easy was it. saying about like how you raise your kids and like the sort of mentality that you need to instill early on to to get this sort of holistic view of humanity. Listen, I talk to people like I'm not a psychologist by any means. But I was when I find out my, when I found out my wife was pregnant, I was a senior in college, I was a junior in college. And um, from an early age, I knew like, OK, I, I want to be a father. Maybe I don't know why, but like I knew like the one thing I know I'm going to do is I'm going to be a dad. Maybe it's because I didn't have a father in my life that I was like, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a good dad. Like I'm a, I'm a. I fell out a lot of things. I'm not going to miss it. This I'm going to put the time in this one. So when I found out that we were having a kid, um, my senior year, I said, I'm going to take an adolescent psychology class so that I can learn the functions of when they grow, when they start learning things, when they start taking in certain traits and, and things like that. And I was just like, I need as much information as possible. So at a young age, I mean, I'm a junior in college, senior in college. My whole objective was, how are my children going to process things and what, at what age do these things start? And um, start looking at more and more information, more and more information and looking at how the brain functions and things like that. And it was common sense. And uh, I was like, man, you can condition your children in a certain manner and never speak a negative word on another race or how someone is or anything like that. And so the uh, it's the simplest thing of like, oh, you, you've had kids, John. And so your kid falls, scrapes their knee, and you just kind of look at them like, come on, get up. And then they just are fine. And it's like, but you react like, oh, you okay? Is everything okay? And they start crying. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just like, it's, it, they're, they're not just taking in, they're not just taking in what you're saying to them. They're taking in how you react, what's in their atmosphere in their area, what they're seeing daily on TV, how you speak to your spouse or, or what you do. Like, it's so much that you got to be on point with, with kids. And so don't get me wrong. None of us get it right. None of us parents will ever get it right. But it just got me thinking about like, white kid is conditioned to know white, to understand white, and to think white better than black. How? When they cut the TV on, they see white cartoons, white TV shows. All right, when they go to school, they usually have a white teacher. All right, they have a lot of white kids in their school. Even if you're predominantly black school, you probably still have white teachers, which then again conditions you to understand that a white person is in charge. We have a white principal, all right? We had one at my school. We had more white teachers than black teachers. So even though you're never saying anything like white people are this or white people are better than black people, you know, vice versa, your child is already picking up and being conditioned by certain things and certain atmosphere. Let's talk about the bubble. You go to church, all white church, right? You go to the grocery store in an all white neighborhood. You live in an all white neighborhood. You interact with all white people and their kids are white. You become conditioned a certain way to feel I have a privilege or I'm better. Your parents never have done this to you. They never meant to do this to you. They never told you anything like this, but it was already being conditioned. Now that you're older, you now have to deal with the influence of your friends. We all know how that goes. Mm. All right. So it's like a black child is already conditioned a certain way, thinking a certain way. If their parents are not in the household trying to empower them and tell them certain things and get them to feel confident about themselves, it's like you're you're already being conditioned. No one's saying anything to you. No one's saying anything negative to you. So the reason why I speak so much about children and speak so much about things is because it's like that's where it's going to start. We may not see this change in my in my DNA, but if we start implementing certain things into our children's lives, into our, like one of my members came to me and was like, "Easy, what what can I do better? Like, how can I keep my daughter so that she understands?" I was like, "You're half Mexican." Like your daughter already is is in a biracial situation. Like she has a Caucasian father. You're half Mexican. She is a pure redhead white kid. But like in the household around, she's seeing different things. She's around different things. She comes to the gym every day. The child begged her mom to come see Mr. Easy. Begs her mom, like, hey, we gotta go see can we go to the gym and see Mr. Easy? It's not it's Sunday. The gym's closed, baby. Well, can we just go to the gym and see Mr. Easy? It's like he loves being around it. She loves hanging out with my kids. So it's like, you just have to try to diversify as much as possible. And you're not in a, in a position where you can diversify your atmosphere and your surroundings. You then have to do it through television. You have to do it through, through games. You have to do it through food. You have to do it through so many sources for you to add diversity to your child's life and some certain things. Um, and I just feel like, People live in their bubbles and never think anything's wrong. And this stuff like this happens and they can't see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. They're com- completely blind to the bigger picture. It's like you lived in your bubble, your mom lived in her bubble, and now you're raising your child in her bubble. Right. We have to make the change. So the reason why I speak so much of kids is because one, they take so much in and two, they're innocent. At this. Now they're innocent. And the sucky part is I might have to take my child's innocence. I may have to tell my child, like, hey, baby, listen, like, you, can't call, you can't call the police. Like, uh, like, like, I don't you know. If the police pull us over, like, 
I'll give you a prime example. If I go in the grocery store and leave my kids in the car, I say, hey, Cameron, watch the boys. I'm going to run the grocery store, grab some stuff real quick. Or, you know, I'm going to run the gas station and grab some stuff real quick. They know, do not open the car for anyone. And the number one thing I make sure I say every time, not even the police. You may not open the car door. You may not roll the window down. You may not talk to the police if I am outside of this game. Because I don't know what kind of stunt they may pull. I might have been gone for five minutes, two minutes. I don't know. But I don't know what that turns into. If you open that door and start talking to them, or you allow them to come in and they want to create a scenario that is not avoided. If I get pulled over, you sit in the car, you cut your phone on, you, you put your hands where they are visible. I tell the boys, you put your heads down, please. Don't joke around. Don't play. Don't jump around. Like, just put your heads down. Put your heads down is because I don't want to tell them what may happen or what situation may occur. Um, I want them to see it. But I don't want to come to them and be like, hey, like, don't trust the police. Like, hey, the cops might shoot you or you're a threat because you're black. That's a, that is a very, very, I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to tell my daughter, like, hey, you, you might marry a, a, a outstanding young black man. He's still going to be under constraints. And if he gets pulled over, you might want, you might be in fear. I mean, scared. I don't want to have that conversation. My daughter, my wife, down to a protest today, and I told my my wife like, oh, much as I would want to introduce her to like what's going on in the cause, it's like I want to strip her. And it's, I don't know how she's going to take what I'm saying. <laughs> I, that's the hard part about parenting. No matter what you tell your kid, you don't know how they're going to interpret it. Right? You don't know. I mean, what my kid, he may think I bludgeon him to death. It's a shaky situation, right? It's like, you got whooped once in your life, but that one whooping may have changed your life forever towards like, my dad beat me when I was a kid. I don't know how you're going to interpret it. So just imagine if I come to you and say, hey, the cops may kill you and you're young. Right. No more playing with guns. No more, I don't want to talk to the police. I'm always kind of like, hey, get away from me. Like, I don't want to be bothered by you. Put you in a, mm-hmm. in a work situation. So it's just, it's just a lot of touchy situations yeah. if you're logically thinking. And that's just how I am. You know, like, I always tell my wife, like, I don't make mistakes. I, I'm not the one who's like, oh, man, that was a mistake. I thought about it and I chose to act that way. Mm. If I went down to a protest and a riot broke out and I started doing stuff, it wasn't an accident. Oh, I was for sure trying to, I was for sure letting off some steam. You got to inform them. You got to talk to them. I tell my white friends and it, I've been a, it's been a blessing for me to be around uh, so many white people and Caucasian, Caucasian people in general that have children and interact with their kids, be around their kids and bring their kids and say, oh, you know, even as a child, you have that experience that you months and months and months to years, you're going to remember that. Right. You know, like you got photos of that. Like I still send my friend photos and or she'll talk to her friends and I'll remember that she hasn't seen in three, four years open communication. I make sure with their father to her father and her mother that we keep that open communication. So if her kids aren't being or aren't talking to other African American kids, it's like, well, remember this kid was your best friend when you were young and you still keep in touch with her, you still talk to her. And it's just it's just trying to educate as many people as possible. Like yeah. what we actually go through, yeah. what we've actually been through, like not even go through what we've been through because people don't even know. 
Well, that's, I was going to say, I, I appreciate so much you taking the time to talk to us about all of this because it's, it's real personal and it's, it's real emotional and it's real intimate. And, and it's, first of all, like, thank you for opening up and, and being so honest and, and forthright with us. But it's a time where we do need to listen to and not just hear them, but like listen to what people are yeah. thinking and what people are feeling. And I think the, the biggest question that I see so often is from white people or from people who want to be allies who are like, what, what can I do? Like, what is the right move for me? And they're afraid to say anything and, and silence yeah. is not the right answer, but they don't know where to, where to step out because they want to be helpful. But truthfully, some helpful avenues are kind of like helpful in disguise. Like they're not really what you think they are. So yeah. we want to know, like, how do I help without stepping on toes or saying something wrong and they're too afraid or just, what do they do? I'm going to use this in a concept that everyone on this platform would understand because we all probably work out. Snatching and cleaning, jerking are hard. Snatching is hard. It's mm -hmm. the hardest movement that CrossFit has produced, right? But it's the movement that everyone can do. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, you may not be able to do a bar muscle up. We're not going to talk about that. We're not talking about ring muscle. Up. We're talking about snatching. Every single person can snatch. Every single person can say something. When you first do it, very uncomfortable. I did it wrong. Were my feet landing in the right place? Is the bar in the right place? Did I pull too early? Like all these different scenarios that are involved in the movement that you may not get it right the first time. That's okay. Some people may look at you and walk in your gym and be like, "Wow, what is that guy? What is that guy doing? What is it? Like, just, well, why is he? Why is he have weight on his barbell? Like, he's not moving right." But you're still doing it. You're still trying. You're still putting forth the effort. Same thing about the cause. It's the same concept. You still have to say something. You have a voice. You have a platform. And what it does is it lets every single person know where you stand. That's what the platform is for. Like, yeah, I sell merchandise and, you know, I do fundraisers and I have sponsors, but the platform is for me to let people know where I stand. I am a black person. You mentioned, you mentioned earlier, Easy, that you, you'd spent a lot of time recently, you know, just kind of over the weekend on, in social, like getting immersed in social media. I think that's the way you worded it. I spent a lot of time this weekend immersed in social media more than I wanted, if I'm being truthful. Yeah. Um, I saw your feed. Uh, I was like, woof, woof, woof. it was, it was, it was not, it was not fun. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, it was kind of a brutal weekend in that regard. But it, for me, like looking back on it and, and spending that much time, like for me, it was the silence from the bulk of the CrossFit community. It wasn't everyone, but, but it was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. Like how yeah. did that hit? It, it, hit, it hit me hard and truthfully left me incredibly disappointed at how few people when, when, you know, this, this all really, I, I know it didn't just start, but I think you understand my point. Like when momentum started and, and the riots and the marches and the protests, everyone was silent. And, and I was like kind of shocked when I spoke up at how much hate came from it within the community that this isn't, this isn't CrossFit, you know, people can, you know, I kept hearing over and over barbell doesn't care what color you are. Everybody can do it. And I'm like, it's not really the point. Like they were talking about your page, right? Like John, why are you posting this? This is a CrossFit meme page. Yeah, well, I'm not trying to make it about me. I guess for me, it was more about just like the the silence from everyone else. And then when I did speak up, I can't tell you how many messages I got that said, "Just go back to memes." Hmm. 
which was is code for know your place, shut up, get to the back. And, and so I guess I'm asking for your perspective, like as you're in social media, does that, does that affect you? Does it disappoint you, piss you off? Like how, how's your feeling when you're looking at your peers that are staying silent on the sidelines? Um, one, I think you should go back in your feed, screenshot all those people and create a meme for those people. (laughs) That's a great idea. Actually, I might do that. Um, cause me and my wife have been screenshotting. Everyone that has that has barked the wrong noise, I've been screenshotting. I've been unfollowing people on Facebook, unfollowing people um, on Instagram. Um, it has been heartbreaking. Um, now everyone has posted the the. Everyone has kind of stepped into the, the hot spot of. I'm going to post the black square. I'm going to post the you know um, blackout Tuesday. It was it was good to see that. It was good to see something. It was good to see everyone doing or posting something, whether it's trendy or anything. It's like, it was good. Here's where it kind of stinks. Everyone gets involved with the trends, especially when your sponsors get involved with the trends. Now you feel obligated to do it. Now you feel obligated to say something, right? I'm sponsored by Nike. Nike comes out with something. Now I got to say something. I'm sponsored by Reebok. Reebok said something. Okay, now I got to say something. All right. Oh, we got a trend going. Now I'm going to post it to trend. I did it. You said something 100%. I'm with it. I thank you for that. But not seeing a lot of CrossFitters post about the situation. You have a platform when you can speak up on something that is unjust. Um, I get it's a tough situation. It's hard to speak up right away. It's hard to find the words to say. You may be enraged yourself at the situation. Might not know what to say, no one to come off of. I get that. I'm not worried about that. Not speaking up at all, or for those of people that are kind of on the fence, you got to say something. Goes back to the snatch analogy. You, you you keep trying. You keep trying. You may not get it right the first time, but you keep trying. You keep doing it. You keep posting. You keep announcing it. The reason being is because, like I said, it lets everyone know where you stand. Your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, your sister. Your nephews, it lets everyone in your in your immediate circle know where you stand, as well as socially, the people that are around you. And if you don't speak up and you don't say something, you are pretty much saying exactly what you shouldn't be saying. Like, this doesn't, this, this doesn't, this isn't anything to me. Mm-hmm. And so very, very heartening because like Buster hasn't said anything, um, as far as I know. CrossFit HQ. And um, that was, I wrote a whole little thing to let me make sure my word right. And um, I basically said their market is not African-Americans. They don't market to blacks. They don't lose any money for not talking about black problems. Here's where the problem lies. If you are a global company and you speak on one case, you must stand up and speak on all. If you step into politics and you start speaking on politics because it's something that strikes you, something that strikes your nerve or bothers you, you need to stand up and speak for all. You need to find the words to say. Reason being is because black people have been oppressed and broken down for years. Whether you want to see it or not, we look up to the Jay-Z's, the Kevin Hart's, the, the, the Tyler Perry's, the LeBron James. Those people are still in some slight fear. And they have the financial empowerment to say and do what they want, pretty much. 
but they're black and being black alone puts them at a deficit. If you're a global brand and you choose to stand up and speak, speak for all of it. Stand up for all of it. Show that nothing nothing is getting passed without you speaking up and standing for the right side of what's supposed to happen. The reason why I say that is because I use like the LBGT community. When that popped off, CrossFit was all over it. We support them. They are they are avid uh, believers in CrossFit and they do this and, and they do that. And it was all this brand about like, and I was just sitting down like, okay, like, did somebody die or were they just upset? Like, what's going on? And black people don't do CrossFit now? Like, I'm giving you your time to speak. I'm not mad at CrossFit. You still have time to speak because this isn't slowing down anytime soon. This isn't stopping. I want to let everyone know black people will still be doing the same thing. It happens before curfew or after curfew. We're still going to protest. We're still going to stand strong. I will make I will I will make it my personal goal to make sure that we continue on if I need to. But if you're gonna speak up on stuff like that, then this happens, it's just kind of like mm, now I know exactly where you stand. But like I said, I give them time. I give them time. I, I, I give you time to show me where you stand. I give you time to show the world where you stand. There are black people that do CrossFit, we know this. There are homosexuals that do CrossFit, we know this. There are Asians and Latin Americans and black and white and and Australians and Europeans that do CrossFit. We know this. Once something happens in that community, stand up for them. Because whether you're black, white, we're all humans. And at this point, for us speaking of our community, we're all CrossFitters. I think that's where I think that's where I went wrong, EC. Like I, I basically posed the question that the affiliates don't care about black people. They, or they don't care to cater to them or to attract them, you know, and that was the level of hate that I saw coming back was people saying, well, you know, if they, if they wanted to do it, they would do it. There's plenty of other things they can do. I'm like, well, really? Like, like, think about it. Like CrossFit is fun. It's engaging. It has an amazing community. People love each other. We do fundraisers when people get sick, like it's athletic. Yeah. Like you're, you're telling me African-Americans, they don't like sports. Like, what are you trying to tell? Like, I don't understand. Like, explain it. To, explain to me why me as a 49-year-old white guy love doing this and love competing, but the entirety of the African-American community doesn't like it. Like, I'm looking at, and tell me if I'm wrong yeah. on this, and I'd, I'd really love your perspective, you know, running an affiliate and, and creating a community. Like, I think we've, we have created an engaging and fun and endearing community that doesn't make it welcoming for African-Americans. It's not that we don't welcome them, but if you're the only African-American in the group of 30 white people and you do a hero wad once a month in remembrance of a cop that was shot and killed in the line of duty, but at no point do we ever do a civil rights wad or, or anything that might, you might resonate with you. You're never going to feel at home yeah. in place. And so I, that's my theory. Please tell me if I'm wrong, but I'd really like to know, like, no. how do you combat that running an affiliate? Like, how how do you build an affiliate that's truly inclusive of all that makes people want to come to you? All people. Yeah, um, for sure. Like, uh, I t- like I'll be very, very vocal about it. I have no problem. It's hard for me to do merch sometimes. Like, it's hard for me to gear up for merch. Like, I get it. I, I, get, I get everything for it. Like, but it's still like, okay, 
like we're supporting these people and doing these hero workouts actively. And there's nothing for anything black. And Dave Castro came out with something that said, hey, like, um, you know, he had he had message uh someone said, um, you know, Martin Luther King wasn't a crossfitter, but we do work hero workouts for fallen soldiers at work crossfitters. I said, great point. I get that hundred percent. Like I'm with it. But like, are we not looking at the bigger picture here? Are you just making it? Are you just saying that so that we can keep it as tight knit as possible? If so, that's cool. All right, we'll go to the affiliates. How do we make an affiliate more like open me or a black person that come into the door? A lot of things you can do, right? You can show that through your marketing. One thing about CrossFit is you never see black people in the face of CrossFit. Chandler Smith is a top-tier athlete, a damn good CrossFitter. How much is he marketed in CrossFit? Think about all the documentaries that you ever thought about. It was the CrossFit favorites or it was the top-tier athletes. It's like, are we just focusing on the top? Don't get me wrong. Matt Frazier deserves the spotlight 100%. He's going to get the spotlight anyway. He's a top-tier athlete. What about the rest of these other people that have journeys that got to the CrossFit games that, that are here, that are, that are top-tier? So it's like when we sit here and talk about like sport in general, it's like why would I walk into a place where all I see is white people? All you market is white people. All you think about is white people. Like it doesn't fit me. Of course, uh, of, of course uh, along with that, it's expensive. You think I'm going to send my kid to a gym that's $150 a month for general fitness when we need to be working on sports or he plays basketball? Probably not. In the black community, probably not. You got to remember, the, the areas in the inner city, they are looking for their kids to be successful in something so that everyone can get out of the inner city, so that we can find a way out. So if my kid's good at basketball, we probably don't care enough to go do CrossFit. I'm going to invest in school. That's going to either pay for college or that's going to get us out of where the situation we're in. That's just the, the general idea. Along with that, CrossFitters are in a bubble. It's, it's white people in white bubbles. How many CrossFitters go out in black areas or black neighborhoods or interact with African-Americans on a daily basis? Maybe one or two of your members, your owners probably don't. Like, and I'm not saying that for all owners, but I'm just speaking in general. Like, how many times have they been out in a place where it's it's multiple, it's uncomfortable to be the only white person and go somewhere and there's nothing but these other type of people or these other races? It's like, so they stay in their bubble. And as long as people stay in their bubble, CrossFit will, the gyms will never flourish off for diversity and be diverse. Because every time you see CrossFit, you see I don't, I don't, me personally, I don't, I don't want to get in that. So for me, I do, I try to do other things. Like I went to trivia night. I suck at trivia. I'm not good at trivia, but trivia might put me around some people that know things that I don't know. Information that I don't get, but it just allowed me to interact with different people. I went to the, uh, the Hispanic night at the food. Uh, I used to go to our, uh, farmer's market 
And then we have a night with nothing but Latinos and Mexicans and Hispanic community. And I was like, I'm going out here and dance with them and hang out with them and talk to them. And then it's like, yeah, we own this burrito shop. And I'm like, oh, man, I own a gym. And it's like, okay, let's talk. All right, yeah, come check out my gym. And, you know, we'll support you. And it's just building a relationship. But it's like, the only black guy down here, salsa and dancing and looking at the food. But it's just, it's just the way I want to go about my life and, and make sure that I am interacting with other races outside of my own and learning other cultures outside of my own. And when you sit down and think about most of the gyms, if they're white owned, they're probably in a bubble. For the ones that have a good demographic of black people, the owners probably know a good demographic of black people. No, like the first thing I look at when I see CrossFit is Reebok. And the first thing I look at when I see right Reebok is a 40 year old white guy. Like, <laughs> no offense it's taken. Just a, it's a, right. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just a, it's, it, to me, it's like a circle of a community of people that are in their bubble that are comfortable. Like, think about it. Like, a lot of people didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do, even though they knew something was wrong and something right. was up. They've never had to face this. And then you go to a gym. Like I said, you go to a gym. It's nothing but you and your white friends. You go to the movies. You invite all your white friends. You have a cookout at home. It's you and your white friends. You go to church. It's you and your white friends. You know, you go to your kid's school, it's all the white teachers and all your friends that are white. It's like you are constantly walking in this bubble of white privilege and you don't even notice it. Like you don't even take the time to notice it, to say, like, let's do something different. Let's change it up. And right. I think that's what keeps them more like that. Along with that, market it, CrossFit is marketed to the, the middle class white person. You know, the, the I mean, first time, good for them. the first time I ever got out of the bubble easy, I, uh, my oldest daughter ran track and she was in middle school. She was really good. She was a long distance runner. She ran like a six minute mile, which is way faster than I run. And she wanted to, she wanted to do AAU. Uh, and there's a track team of Cleveland track club here locally. And somebody had asked her to join. So I take her to the first practice and I am, and she is literally the only white kid on the team. I'm the only white parent in the stands and she's out there running. And one of the moms, like in front of every other parent turns and goes, which kid's yours. And then like every parent just busted into laughter. You know, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's how that feels. All right. Well, you know, this is yeah. how this is going to go. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, what, and what was even funnier is, you know, then they, then they all became really stereotypical with me. They're like, well, thank you so much. Cause none of our kids, they all want to sprint. Like nobody wants to run long distance. We're so glad your daughter's here, you know? And uh, we did that yeah. all summer. We did that all summer. We traveled all over the country or, you know, kind of on you know this side of the country. And um, it was a really amazing experience for me because I had never, I had, had always been in that bubble. And so to really have like kind of a 90, 90 day window where every weekend I'm with all these families and, and, you know, you're the only one in the group. You know, uh, it was a really unique experience. And, you know, I, I would love to see our affiliates figure out how to do that. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like it's going to be tough, but once you set the tone, it's the same way as you set a tone in your gym. And I've seen this in multiple gyms. I do it in my gym. And I think it's a, a wonderful thing. When a drop comes in, everyone has to speak to it. Mm-hmm. Done it multiple times. When a drop-in comes in, you got to speak to him, right? That person walks in, it's a drop-in. He'll never be back. He feels welcome. And when he comes back into that town again, he knows exactly where he or she knows exactly where they're going because you right. make them feel welcome. And just setting those type of standards in your gym saying like, hey, like, look around. Like, there's no black people in here. No. Um, there's no black people in here. There's no Hispanics in here. Like, hey, listen, what can we do? 
yeah. talk to your members, like invite some people in, like bring some people in. And you'll start to notice that not only are you in your bubble, but all your members are probably in their bubble too. You know, you'll start to see the, the trend. Yeah. For me, I think one of the most important things that's coming out of this period, although it is like very difficult and emotional and, and stressful is this type of open communication where we can start saying this stuff out loud. And like, I, I appreciate the most when there's, there's no finger pointing and there's no blaming and there's no like sort of like inciting of hate, which is unfortunately like what's been happening so much on social media. But when we can have a conversation and someone can say, Hey, I think this is a problem. And someone else can say, yeah. hear you, what are we doing? What can we do? How do we move forward? Like that is, you know, the, for, for, for companies that need to step out there and say something for gyms that need to end businesses and small organizations and communities that need to support one another. Like, now is the time to listen and work together to yeah. figure something out. Like it doesn't, I just, I really hope that we can appreciate the people who are are, are stepping out and being human and, and communicating. And I really want this open communication to last because that's how like, we can make change. Like I'll, I'll tell you a, a couple of times. Uh, one time I was really, really uncomfortable. Um, I went with uh, Froney. It was me and Froney. And uh, he may be able to tell you the time he was uncomfortable with me because he, he expressed to me how uncomfortable he was, right, in the situation that we were in. So I wonder if you remember from when we were in college. I won't talk about it, though, but <laughs> a little check up. Um, but he invited me to his bachelor and we went to a NASCAR race. And it was, I'm, I had never, I'd never been nervous around other people. Like, I ne- I'm never nervous around all white people. I'm never, like... I'm just ready to party. Like, it's like, it's new. It's going to be different. That's in racing. I was so nervous around all of these white people because I had never been literally surrounded in a place where I don't see anyone my color. Mm. Not only that, but liquor's involved. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's everybody's just talking crazy and doing stuff. And I'm just like, in my mind, I'm just like, so paranoid. Like, I hope someone doesn't like we are the wrong way or, or do something like, and I'm just so worked up. And man, we walked around that place all day and I tried to never show that I was nervous. I tried to enjoy it. I tried to get into it, but it was just a very, very uncomfortable situation. Mm. There's white people miles and miles around me and not the black person. Why would you like, why would you invite me to this? But I never voiced that I was uncomfortable. Kind of listened, learned, hung out, saw the way people acted, the atmosphere, what went on, and tried to enjoy myself as much as possible. Um, and it was a good time. But I was super uncomfortable. I was like, it was an experience I'll never forget. The, the feeling of like sitting around nothing but white people that are like not white like hillbilly like kind of like yeah you can say it that's right <laughs> like, super drunk like sloppy like talking crazy fights breaking out I'm like why why would you invite me here like we stayed <laughs> in a field we stayed in a field and slept in two tents outside showered with jugs of water shirts off musty working out and just walking in like it was 
an experience I'll never forget, but it was so uncomfortable when I first mm-hmm. got there. Like, and it's just like, you gotta put yourself in those situations. I never thought I was in harm's way. I was with a friend that I knew cared about me that wouldn't put me in harm's way, but just wanted to have a good time. And I wanted to show him like, I'm game to have a good time. But let me invite some of y'all to, to the clubs I go to. You're going to be like, hey, man, I think it's time to go. I, got that. I, I think I'm ready to get like, I'm ready to get out of here. Like, you're surrounded. You will be surrounded. Nothing but black. Like, and it's just uncomfortable because you're around alcohol and liquor. People move in aggressively and, right. and you, you can't, like, you don't have any exit. Like, it's just, like, all your instincts are kicking in. You're like, what's going on? But it's like, hey, man, you might, you might have fun. You might enjoy it. It might be a time of your life. It might be something you'll never forget. So the conversations and, and things like that that we're having now, I'm super open to. I'll tell you mm. another one. Mm. I was uh, I was with Froning, and we were in the gym because we used to train together at, in Tennessee. And uh, he got mad at me because I never watched Rocky. And I was like, what do I need to watch Rocky for? It's about a white guy that's a boxer. Like, you know, he's like, you've never seen Rocky. He's like, you're not even American if you've never seen Rocky. You know what he made me do? We rode a marathon road and watched of the Rockies. Thousand mm. meter splits and watch Rocky. And that was my first time ever watching Rocky. But it was just like, oh, I've never won. Why would I watch Rocky? Have you ever <laughs> seen some of these black movies I'll name off to you? Probably not. Right. They don't interest you. You're not going to watch them. But it wasn't until that time until I was kind of like, how many great like, movies am I watching? Am I involving myself in their culture to understand certain things they joke about or say or what they mm-hmm. do. And it was just like, I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't in it. I wasn't into it. And it wasn't until those instances where I was like, let me watch Rocky a little bit. More. Yeah. You know, let me, let me, let me watch some of these channels that I haven't been seeing, but it's like, are you doing that? Have you ever watched, have you ever went on Netflix and watched the movie where it was all black ass? Like, have you ever just said, you know what, this movie, I don't really know. It's, it's nothing but black people. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna try it. No, you probably haven't. You probably watch all the white movies and white TV shows that your friends tell you to watch. And so then again, you're just trapping yourself for when a situation comes out to be like, oh, I don't get it. Like I don't understand. It's like, mm. of course you don't. Right. Please tell right. me you made Rich watch Friday. <laughs> uh, <I>, listen, <laughs> we had the thought where we were gonna have a. Um, a movie night. Me and Rich used to joke a lot about, we used to joke a lot, a, a lot about racism because we had an understanding. Like, don't get me wrong, he never like said the N-word or anything, but just general jokes of like stereotypes. Sure. Uh, and I would joke, I would do the same thing about like white people, like these are stereotypes and, you know, you hillbilly white people live out in the country, <laughs> do this and do this. And, you know, like just the basic stuff. And um, his wife and my wife watched a movie together and they were like, it just changed their perspective and they no longer allowed us to mm. to interact that way anymore because um, they thought we were making other people uncomfortable. Interesting. I'm pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure we were. Um, but they had watched a black movie and it, it made them uncomfortable, uh, even though they were very, very close and still very, very close. Um, but they were just kind of like, hey, you guys make people feel uncomfortable with the relationship that close that you be around about certain things that other people may not be able to say to me or be about. 
hmm. but because our relationship was so close, we could joke about certain things. And um, after that, it was just like the wives were like, kind of just like stops. And we had a better perspective and understanding of those things that we were doing were wrong. Like it, in our eyes, it wasn't, but you know, wasn't right. So um, it was just another scenario where his wife opened her her mind up. She opened her heart up. She stepped out of her comfort zone. She watched a movie and it changed her perspective. Yeah. It allowed her to see in a different lens. There's so much that we can teach each other. And I'm, I'm really glad to see people stopping and listening and taking time for one another. And I, I, I hope that it, it continues in this pattern because there's just like I said before, just this communication, like just having this conversation with you, easy is just so it opens up my mind to so many of the possibilities and so many of the hardships and things I'd never thought of, even though I could sit here and be like, I think I'm an ally. I've tried to be an ally, but am I in my bubble? Yeah. You know, yeah. have I had this conversation with anyone before? I don't know, but now I am. And, and let's keep it going. And I'm, I'm glad you said it. I'm like, like, um, it's, it's, it's the thing of people kind of not understanding that yes, you do have a privilege the color of your skin yeah. and that's what we're fighting that's what we're fighting against it's like once you say something you let everyone know that you stand with me you let everyone know that you stand for black people for humanity itself and then that trickles to the next person that trickles yeah. to the next person the next person says don i care about you and if this is what you stand for you just change my perspective nikki i care about you and what you just said changed my perspective. And, and now it's going to make me think a little bit different, act a little bit different and, and stand up for the cause. And that is been what makes greater change. For really, really appreciate the conversation. Easy. Yeah. This is a, I think of a gigantic help to the community. The, the only thing you've said tonight, though, I do want to correct you on is that CrossFit doesn't uh, use Chandler Smith for their promos, not because he's black, but because he has pathetically small calves. They're tiny. Oh, no. <laughs> so like, he has these tiny little cat, like little stick legs. That's why they don't use them. He just doesn't photograph well. You know? Oh no! They're called they're called jumpers calves. They're <laughs> higher up on the they're higher up on the legs so that the Achilles longer so that I can rebound faster. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm so gonna. We just can't see them because like his shorts are too long. Nah, he has little legs. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally going to cut this clip and text it to him later oh, just, just so he'll know we talked about his life. We had it him on the podcast ends. a while back and it was literally like an hour of smack talk just back and yeah. forth. It was so much fun. He's the best. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's quite a dude. Well, easy. Thank you for coming on. Thank I you think so this much. is a gigantic help to the community. We'd love to have you back on so we can talk about CrossFit at some point And <laughs> uh, the fact that you snatch more than I deadlift. I'd also like to say when you're talking about everybody can snatch and it really looks bad. Easy's never seen me snatch before. I mean, it probably is the way it looks when I do it, but he hasn't seen it. So he wasn't referring to me. I just need to clarify. So I think that's my favorite analogy that I'm going to take from this whole thing. And if anyone ever has questions, I'm going to be like, well, have you ever snatched with a PVC pipe? So you can make some moves. Yes. There, it's super yeah. complicated. It's hard to do. Nobody understands it when they first start doing it. They probably get it wrong a thousand times, but you keep trying. You keep yeah. doing it over and over again. Same thing while stepping up. Don't worry about how you look. Don't worry about what the gym is saying about your snatch or if anyone's supporting you. You are stuck on trying to achieve the goal of, of getting something right. Just keep trying. So just keep talking. Just keep speaking up. Yeah. Um, yeah, the point of getting across. Yeah, I love it. That's great. Well, thank you so and much. If you're, wrong, uh, if, you're, if you're wrong, I'll come on your page and, and comment. And there you go. Too. Get in the comments. I'm going to get the popcorn.
please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The comment section has been a, it's been a ride to say the least. And nice. hopefully, hopefully it's starting to end. We'll see. Well, thanks again, Nikki. It was great to see you as always. Of course. Uh, to everyone listening, we really appreciate you guys joining us tonight and uh, we will catch up with you all soon.